Welcome to The Art of Marketing, a podcast webinar series to help you connect with your customers. We talk with marketing directors, executives, and business owners to learn more about their approach to marketing, hear which tactics deliver results in different industries, and give you some ideas for your next campaign. The Art of Marketing is brought to you ad-free by Applied Art and Technology. Applied Art is a creative studio that helps businesses create professional content that gets results. From video production, websites, virtual events, and much more, Applied Art can help you build the bridge from marketing to sales. To learn more about our company, visit our website at AppliedArt.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. This is The Art of Marketing. Welcome everybody to episode 28 of the Art of Marketing webinar podcast series with your friends at Applied Art. Today we're talking about promoting Iowa State Cyclones athletics with Mary Mary Pink. So welcome Mary to the show. Um, We do not have Mark on today, but we do have our regulars with Shannon Quinn and George Christ and myself, Ryan, and I'm in marketing. Um, Today, like we said, we have a really special guest. Mary Pink is in the house today talking about um, all things Cyclones marketing. So welcome, Mary, to the show. Thank you. Absolutely. So for folks that don't know who you are, uh, maybe you can fill everybody in on a little bit about who you are and what you do for the Cyclones. Yeah, uh, my title is Associate Athletics Director for Marketing at Iowa State Athletics Department. I've been here uh, 25 years, so started in 1995. Uh, we, for anyone a historical, historic <laughs> time frame, uh, we had just hired Dan McCarney as our football coach, um, and we had just hired uh, Tim Floyd. He'd been here one year mm. when I got here. So that gives people kind of a historical reference point. Um, we had come off an 0-10-1 football season under Jim Walden. Um, we were, I think, uh, tied for dead last in the football um, rankings in the country. Uh, so we had a lot of work cut out for us in terms of how to market the program and how to get people in the stands. And I remember the first couple games we had, we were grateful if we got I think 25,000 people in a 50, I think we we're about 50, 55, maybe in our attendance numbers at that point. Um, so it, it was really, you know, Iowa State Athletics isn't probably where it is today in terms of what people think of it. But uh, so my job um, has been to market and brand the program. Uh, I, I work on ticket sales. So trying to get people to buy season tickets, single game tickets, uh, for football, men's basketball, women's basketball, wrestling, um, uh, gymnastics, um, and then we, and volleyball. And then we also uh, want to get people to attend our events. So uh, like soccer is a free sport for us or softball. Um, we still work on getting our fans out for those games and supporting those sports. And then uh, once you're at the game, the other part of our work is what is our, the game atmosphere like? So what you're seeing on the video board at a football game, um, that's all scripted out and people outside of our office record different pieces for that and work on those things. Like we have a crew that runs the games for Cyclones.tv. Um, so it takes a lot of different people. It's not just our unit or just me. It's I'm a great staff that does a lot of hard work um, on the back end to make the events go, but it's from what you listen to music wise at the games, uh, to our presentations. Um, we work with our sponsorship group that sells sponsorships, make sure that we're giving credit obviously to our, our great sponsors. And then, um, the other parts of it for me are just our branding, our Iowa state logo that people see, uh, working on that, making sure we're correctly using our logo and our branding and uh, from all of our sports to what we see out in the public. And then working with our spirit squad, our band, um, so our cheer and our dance teams, and then uh, working on our main social media accounts out, out of this office. So like for people that maybe are on there for Facebook, it's Iowa State Athletics and for Twitter and Instagram and uh, Snapchat and, and TikTok now, it's our Cyclone Ath accounts. Um, that we work on 
content that what we're going to put out there. So it's a lot of different pieces, but at the end of the day, it's um, how are we building our brand and our image and how are we promoting it to people? How are we advertising? Um, that's how our relationship got going with Applied Art is you know, creating our commercial spots and putting our spots out to the public. How are we engaging our fans? And then once they're here, how are we entertaining our fans? Wow. It sounds like you do about everything except coach. (laughs) I don't know about that. There's a lot of great people here that do a lot of hard work. Awesome. What I, my, my, I'm just curious out of the, the, your tenure there, I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of like shifts in marketing and advertising what do you think has been like the biggest change in the time that you started from now in terms of like what you guys are doing as a program to, to market everything that's going on there? Yeah, I think the biggest, one of the biggest shifts I've seen is when I started in 95, you know, newspaper had such a big presence. And I remember buying a full page ad to promote football um, and doing a lot of other pieces within, within, within newspaper. And now we, we, you know, we don't use newspaper at all. We actually have shifted so much more into digital, um, whether it's spending money or it's, you know, utilizing digital to help promote our program. And so I think that's been the biggest shift is away from newspaper advertising. We don't, we don't buy radio. Uh, we, we trade with our uh, affiliates to run, to run radio ads. But I think, you know, there's so much competing Um, you know, now you have to look at your ROI, you know, what's your return? And and obviously in digital, you get a lot more return. You can see what the analytics are for what you're putting out there. Absolutely. Cause I know you'd mentioned too, on one of the times we're talking earlier about billboards and like TV still, cause you guys are still doing some traditional uh, advertising, maybe talk about your mix a little bit and what that looks like now. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we work on, we do digital billboards. We also do regular billboards in Des Moines. Um, we also have a, a spot. We've actually bought a, um, a billboard that we've had since Jordan Creek opened. So like when you walk into Jordan Creek, uh, right by the food court, we have a, a huge placement, which, you know, we get a lot of eyeballs off of that. I think that's like a million people come into that mall every year. Uh, so we look at, when I look at the marketing mix, I look at like, what is, what is effective? I still think, you know, obviously buying TV advertising is effective. I I think that goes back to what is your commercial mix going to look like. So like our relationship with applied art has really been important for us because if you have a good spot, a good commercial, a good message, I think that really resonates and extends beyond just having that commercial up. People talk about your spot uh, so we we do do TV, we do digital billboards, we do regular billboards, we've uh, do, do digital buys with uh, social media, with Facebook, we've done some with Instagram, we've done a little bit with Twitter as well, and then we also uh, in with that we've looked at you know what what is working effectively. Like sometimes we'll just put the regular commercial up like we've done with you guys for football and that's done really well on its own, even without having to buy digital um, support behind it because people love the football commercials that you guys have done. And they well, see after like, we, oh. after we win this championship, it sounds like we're going to have to make, make a new video. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> then we might be doing more stuff to promote I know. the program here. Uh, so I think those have been really important. We've also bought uh, some uh, signage down um, on the skywalks before, and we've tried different things. So what else is going to work? So for us, it's I think it is a changing mix. Some things are going to work and some things aren't, but those have been our mainstays has been, you know, TV, digital, social media, um, billboards. Those have been kind of my mainstays within what I've done. You know, oh, it the looks thing- like we've got a couple of questions. Fire away. Sure. So Corey had a question. He's asking, what's your biggest challenge with digital marketing? And I know he's in, he's in sports marketing as well. So in terms of digital, what's one of the biggest challenges you guys are seeing um, as you continue to, to grow those uh, digital platforms? I think the algorithms are ever changing and they're somewhat of a, it's somewhat of a challenge to figure that out. So like, 
as we started social media, I feel like in the past, it, you know, it was easier to get more reach. Now I think they're, they changed the algorithms and I, and I get it for them. They want you to buy advertising. So, you know, they'll change how your reach is going to happen. And so, you know, it's, it's finding out, okay, why did that video work? And then this other video didn't work at all. And so it's trying to be able to look at the trends. Um, I'll give you an example. We put, we put up a video that we got uh, last weekend. We were on college game day. So it was up. It was a segment that was cut by our crew um, off there. And I was like, hey, let's just put this up before the West Virginia game and see on Facebook. Is the only platform we used. And it did. It was one of the best pieces of content for the entire month that we put up because people were excited about the game. They were looking for things to do beforehand. And so it just did really well, which I thought it would have done okay, but I had no idea that that would do so well. Um, and so I think it's figuring out with the algorithms what's going to work and what's not. And I think being able to look at trends and trying different things, because sometimes you're going to find, like I did, hey, let's try that. Oh, that worked really well. But maybe if I'd put it up later in the day or on Sunday, I don't think it would have done as well on that spot. Well, so it's making sure what your timing is. And from a viewer perspective, seeing something like that, that creates a level of connectedness to the excitement and enthusiasm. And if yep. you're a fan, you're looking now more than ever to make that. And yep. I think that's probably why it, it, it did so well. Oh, my yep. friend Susan has a question too. Could you discuss your various audiences and which approaches are especially good for some of those specifically? Yeah, so we, you know, our range that we look at, so there's a student market. So we have our students and that's a whole different animal, I think, um, in that I look at the young fan base, uh, the students, they don't read emails anymore, hardly. They're really into social media, but they have a very short attention span now. So you have to figure out what to do. Um, and so for that audience, you know, we're skewing much more towards Instagram, Instagram stories. Uh, I feel like that's a big audience for that. We still email them. There is some open rate. I'm not saying they don't read their emails at all. Uh, but one, one strategy I'm trying to look at is, you know, do we start doing more with text, texting to them to try to cut through that? So that's one. Um, we also, then the next segment um, we have is our, our junior cycling club members. So those are like the kids. So I really believe in the cradle to grave strategy for, for us. That, that's, I think, what built where we are when we weren't winning. People always ask, like, well, how, how did you guys get people to come when you weren't winning? And I said, because we really invested in getting families and kids to come to our games. And I really believe that if you get kids to engage with your brand when they're young, then they will be lifelong fans mm -hmm. because they've had some experience at your event and your game. And so, you know, even that's evolving now with the pandemic. I look at my son who's 14 and his whole thing is YouTube and Xbox. And like, he's never seen an NBA game, but he loves now the NBA because he's played NBA 2K. I have no idea. Like, I think that's bizarre to me, but that's how he's engaged with the brand. So I think that's utterly fascinating. Now he loves Iowa State because obviously I've taken him to so many events, but I think that's what we're now going to compete against when we come out of the pandemic is how do we re-engage the younger kids in our in your brand that you're trying to sell now? Because as they said, you have to do it before they're 18 or they're they're not going to engage with your brand. I mean, that's typically and you know, they're just kind of out. So um, we continue to try to find effective strategies to get them to come to our games and to be price sensitive. So we look at, you know, from a family standpoint, what's going to get you to come to that event? Well, our junior cycling club membership is $59 for a kid to come it includes all six home football games or seven. And then you get to go to some men's basketball games. You get to go to the rest of our events for free. And so for those, it's like from a family, it's like, well, that's cheap. I mean, 60 yeah. bucks, if we only went to a couple events, that's great. Well, now you've engaged them in your brand early on. And then I think the next segment for us is our adults. You know, we have our donors um, and then we have younger families that have come in that are, you know, young alumni. So that's anywhere from 25, I, I would say 25 to 54 is our other area. 
And so we look at pricing, you know, what is effective in your pricing? You have to have different areas of price entry points. I mean, you have your donors that could give $10,000 and they're fine paying full price for season tickets. And then you have people that are like, you know, like we developed a Cyclone Mobile Pass, which was at the time when we started, I think it was $99, but you didn't have a fixed seat. So you spent 99 bucks and your seats moved every game. And what we found out was fans didn't care. They were like, I love seeing it from different vantage points and I'm okay with moving around. And actually that became one of our biggest selling points was like getting those people in and we moved the price point up, but it was getting people engaged with it. And then they're like, I don't care where I sit. I love it. I get to, I don't care who I sit with as long as I'm with my friends. And so I think it's looking at those trends and then also how do you market to those different groups? Um, I'll tell you one trend that I see coming is, is text alerts. I really see a lot of retail outlets and we've done some of this before is people get so many emails. I think they get email fatigue. And so it's, how are you going to cut through that? You know, it's, it's social media, it's text alerts, it's finding other avenues that you're going to get people more engaged with your brand. And I, I see that as a younger generation, but you know, we're, so we're trying different mixes of things. Um, so so really what I, what I hear you saying is um, watch your metrics and yep. se segment your audience. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Because what works for like an old, like me, I'm older. What works for me is I'm probably much more going to read something. I like video content. Um, and I, but I think younger people, they have a very short attention span. So what works with them is different than what works for my age group. Well, and I know working on the television commercials, we always talk that the hardcore football fans are going to come anyway. Yep. And so we were trying to get people in the stadium and looking for those people that were sitting on the fence was really the audience there. Yep, if they could sure. just have a little nudge, uh, maybe they would, uh, they would buy season tickets. Yep. The other thing I think is really interesting is focusing on the younger audience because I know if you're young and you grow up with a, a Cyclone jersey on, how oftentimes does that decide where you're going to college at? And I wondered if the enrollment in Iowa State kind of paralleled the success of the football program. Be interesting study. I think that would be really interesting to see how many of those and how many kids were, you know, like, for example, I think it was Colin Newell, one of our current football players. It was either Trevor Downing or Colin Newell was like, I remember being a junior cyclone club member and sitting on the hillside. And now they're like playing for us as an offensive lineman, you know, like how cool is that? Like, yeah, or that's, um, one of their, that's part of their story. Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard. His dad played for us, you know? So it, it, it is, it's, it's a very interesting, would be an interesting study. All right. One of the things that I see a lot are friends that are, that are younger than me are really into the YouTube videos and you talk about their attention span. And one of the things I do see them constantly on their phone, scrolling through the funny videos. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done anything? Is there a humor element that can be injected to a campaign that you think would, would make sense for Iowa State? I mean, what, what, what would that look like? Because I just know that's, you know, it's either a really good hard hit or it's behind the scenes or it's something that's erroneously hilarious. Yeah, we've done, I know um, we personally haven't done as much with that in our unit. I know another, well, we've worked on, um, we have a size house of trivia. We don't have it, we didn't have it this year, but we've done some funny videos leading up to that. Um, we've also done some, trivia stuff um, when we've gone on the road for the tailgate tour where they oh, yeah. have the coaches or Jamie's competing against a coach and they're trying to answer these trivia questions as quickly as possible. And I know some people have really thought those were very funny as well. Yeah. So yeah. we've tried to do more things with like our coaches um, that's been done through our TV staff has worked on some of those videos with our coaches. So that's we've cool. taken a different approach to it I think more because I think on our end we feel like and I've been told before like comedy is very hard to pull off so you have to be able to know like is this gonna is this gonna work are people gonna yeah. say this is really funny are they gonna be like oh that's really that's not funny. 
So that, that brought up a question for me um, with, with that being kind of, there's a, obviously a line that you don't want to cross. Um, how, how fluid is it in terms of like things you can get out? Cause obviously you're putting out a lot of content on all these different platforms. Is there kind of a sign off uh, thing that goes, or is it just like you have to look at it and it's kind of your judgment based on that kind of explain that. Cause I think that's a lot of people are afraid to post or afraid to do things cause they don't want to, you know, taint their brand or whatever, whatever kind of fears they would have with that. Yeah, we, so what we do now is we'll have a social media meeting every week. And there's, I have a staff, like I have a person that she's really dedicated to running the social media channels. Before the pandemic, we also had student interns as well. And they start out just helping out with events. And then they work to working in our office and they help post content, but we're also reviewing what they're posting. Uh, So we're, you know, we're making sure we're on top of it. So it's not like, oh, some students just putting something out with spelling errors or whatever else out there. And then we sit down as a staff. So right now, a couple of us are meeting and we talk about, okay, here's what's coming up for the next week. Let's say it's like one week, it was National Jersey Day. So we were like, oh, we have these old football jerseys. Like, how does that play into the content? Like, could we do jersey giveaways to play into that? Or um, I think next week is National Twin Day. So we have twins on the football team. Josh and Jaquan Bailey are twins. Okay, how do we put something out about them? Because they're both playing for us now. And obviously Jaquan's played since he was a freshman. You know, that's going to play really well in terms of our content. So we talk about what, uh, what works and what isn't working. Uh, we talk about, we share ideas. No idea is a bad idea because we're like, hey, whatever we can come up with. Let's, you know, and some of it you're going to try and it's, it's not going to work. And some of it is going to work great, but for us, it's more, I would equate not trying, not working as like, maybe we just didn't get a lot of engagement in it. And that's okay. Like I tell people, you have to try things in order to find out if it's going to work or it's not. And you can't be afraid because like social media moves so fast. You think of it when you're on Twitter or Instagram, you're, you're just going through the content. And so you have to think people only have so much time. But if you quit putting content out because you're afraid or you're worried, that's where it's like, I feel like you're going to start falling behind in your brand awareness and getting your message out there. Um, so we really try to talk about what's coming up, what what are trends, uh, what, and I have younger people involved because like my, 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 my platform for sure is Facebook and then Twitter and then Instagram. But their Facebook, their platforms are Instagram and then Twitter, maybe Facebook. So they're giving a, you know, and they're into TikTok. I'm not into TikTok, but that's another area that has really grown. So I think it's getting other people's viewpoints and ideas. And then I, you know, I think it's fine if you want to go over what their copy is initially, but I think eventually you should have some level of trust And then we have to communicate with like football as an example. So football runs their own main football account. So like, I just talked to them today. I'm like, well, here's what we're thinking about for this week leading up to the championship. What are you guys going to do? So they tell us like, here's what we're going to do. Okay. Well, if we win, here's what we're thinking. What do you guys think? You know, and again, we're just kind of going back and forth, trying to have a, a strategy for each channel. And ours is more about the fan and football is more about obviously football recruiting, they are really trying to kind of be more, they're just, they're going more for the plays and the the content of the actual action. And we're going more about the celebration and just more of the uh, iconic photos, just different things than they are. So we, we really try to communicate as much as we can on our strategy. How much content do you put out in a week? Well, we try to put at least one photo a day. We don't always do it on Instagram, but we almost often put one photo a day on Instagram because I feel like that keeps your algorithm up because the more people are engaging with it, the more people will keep seeing your content. Uh, I would say we post probably three to four times a day on Facebook. And I would say at least three to four times a day on Twitter maybe more depending on game. If it's game day, it's a lot more. If it's the day before the game, it's a lot more because we're putting up sponsored content as well. You know, to be able to put out that much content, you really, it seems like you had to create this environment where, yeah, just 
post, submit, put things on there. You kind of know what you want to do and the quality and the theme, like you said, but mm -hmm. it's like everyone has to be posting a lot. You do. And, and I definitely don't want to lead people into like just post anything because I do feel like you have to make sure you're putting out quality content. Like I'll give you an example, like people want to put a lot of graphics on Facebook content. You know, the algorithm with Facebook is they're going to, if you have a lot of words or graphics on there, it's going to drive that content down unless you win the game. Like I'll give you an example, like a graphic that works for us is, uh, you know, we beat West Virginia or we beat Texas. The final score graphic, yes, because people right away start engaging with that and then that drives that algorithm up. But if it's just everyday content or we have sponsors and they really want their logo front and center on some photo and I'm like, you guys, people will engage with it, but it's not about the logo. It's about that photo. It's about the iconic moment. So I think you have to think about also, what would you want to see when you're on social media? Like, what are things you engage with on social media just in general? Do you engage with something that has a lot of words on it? Mm, probably not. Do you engage video. in that iconic? What? Video. Video. Exactly. I'm a, I'm a video person. I like video and photos with the story that can go to it. Yep. Yeah, it looks like we had another question here from Jim. Uh, he was asking... With the reduced fans allowed in the stands, how is your actual messaging pivoted to engage fans that aren't physically at Jack Trice or at Hilton? Like if they're, if we know more people are tuning in, how has that changed kind of your message? Good question. Uh, we have tried to do more things to engage our fans um, when they're not around, like whether it's photos or video or trying to have, um, I'll give you an example. We started doing uh, a roll call. Like, we'll do it for this Saturday, this coming Saturday's game, not tomorrow, obviously, and say, you know, where are you watching the game from? Show us where you're watching the game. Uh, so, and people love posting that. Or we'll say, uh, show us, uh, bring your flag to the game on Saturday or, you know, to Dallas and, and, and send us pictures of that. And we'll retweet their content. You know, it could be a baby photo wearing Iowa State gear. You know, we like to engage with that kind of a photo. So we make people feel like, hey, you're not there at the game, but you feel like we care that you're watching the game or you're supporting the Cyclones from wherever you're at. Uh, for volleyball, we did a, we called it a virtual t-shirt toss. So people who engage with our, 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 uh, our channel during a volleyball match, we sent t-shirts out to them. We picked certain winners and we sent t-shirts out to them. So we try to figure out different ways for those fans that can't be there to feel like they're somewhat involved or we'll try to take um, like a, uh, I'm just trying to think of what else. I mean, we've done like some different things at the beginning of the season. We did a show, a pregame show, and then we've still continued to do some of that show work. Um, like our pregame radio show we put on our Facebook channel and I think Twitter has it as well. We've done some of that. We can't, the hard part with TV is once the TV window starts with like ESPN, Fox, ABC, we can't post any live content unless, I mean, we can post, they'll give us some regulations like here you can put so many videos up so we can do some of that. It depends on our contract with TV. So we'll try to do obviously highlight videos and things like that, that we'll post to keep people engaged from that. But we can only do so much with our TV contract. Awesome. That's super interesting because I know some teams they'll have whole content crews that go out and that's all they do is just live posting tweet, uh, tweets and, you know, Instagram stories and everything to kind of keep people in the loop. So that's always really cool to hear how that goes. Well, we used to do that. Like, so we would do live content, like from the field, as an example, for Instagram stories, whether it was pregame or we did some in game. But now with the pandemic, we couldn't, like, from a social media standpoint, like, we couldn't be on the field. So, like, none of the content creators, like, in our staff, we can't, we couldn't be on the field because of just the rules and COVID and everything. So like we had to have photographers like in the stands as an example. Take, so we just tried to do it a different way to still get content to post, but like we couldn't really do a lot with Instagram stories. Cause I was like, I'm not down there on the field. Like it's, it didn't make sense to do some of it. So that was 
I think, a challenge and something that we couldn't do this year as much of what we wanted to. Sure, sure. Because you said you show it's it's sideline content, but it's also like people right next to the players and that type of access as well. Yeah, some of that, like we would do, let's say we won a game and we would maybe pull a player and say, hey, hey, tell us what you thought of the game or like give a shout out to Cyclo Nation um, after the game. We, we can't do that. We have no access within that or we could show fans celebrating or doing different. It, we just couldn't do some of that. So we've really tried to do more with photos this year than we had before. Like if we had a photo of Jaquan it was a cutout of Jaquan that we gave him. He gave it to his girlfriend. She brought it to the game. It was hilarious. She put a, <laughs> she put a mask on Jaquan's like, it was like a huge cutout. And we took a picture of it and people loved it because they tagged her in it and all these people engaged with the content. So it was, it's just some of it's off the field stuff too. Well, what's your biggest challenge? Now? Yeah, not, not counting the pandemic. I know one big challenge that we really came up with was game atmosphere. So, you know, you think you, you know, we would have hopefully had 61,000 people for Louisiana game and for all of our games. Well, then it went, you can't have any fans in the Mm -hmm. stands for the first home game. So you're trying to figure out manufacturing like atmosphere for the football team. So, you know, we've, we had the whole band come, which they were originally going to be, a smaller band, but then once we couldn't have fans, we're like, okay, well, let's have the whole band there. We had the whole spirit squad there in the stands. And obviously we had families of the players and, and staff, but that's, that's like maybe a thousand people in a stadium. So you're trying to figure out how to manufacture the noise. And I think that was initially a really big challenge, not only for us, but for the rest of the schools of trying to recreate something that, it's just really hard to recreate. I mean, you just can't, you, you can only do so much, but even, you know, I even would watch games and I'm like, I remember watching a game initially, I think it was BYU and somebody else, or maybe it was an army game. And I was like, I can hear everything. Like they had the field mics for the TV and you could hear like players talk. It was so weird. And so, you know, you had to make changes, not only from TV perspective to in-game perspective to provide that quality and you had to realize like it's not going to be the same and I knew people were complaining I'm like it's just not it's not normal like I went to the game to work and I'm like no one's tailgating like no one's Uh coming to our games even when we could have fans you couldn't tailgate I was like we just won we just beat West Virginia it's our best season like ever and we can't even as a cyclone fan be there to celebrate it in true fashion. Like, I think that's such a challenge, like not only for us working here, but our fans can't, I mean, they can enjoy it at home and, but you know, it's all about connection and that emotional connection you have to that sport and that feeling. And it's just so different now. You can't manufacture that to the same level. It's just never, it's not going to be the same. Wow. Absolutely. One of the, one of the questions we wanted to ask you before we want to be mindful of your time. Um, if there are folks that are on here that are marketers that are trying to figure out different ways to reach their audience, what would be your advice for those people from your experience, just working in all the different stuff that you guys have done? So so what would be my advice if they're trying to reach? Yes. Like advice to them based on your experience. Um, if they're trying to reach customers in a new way or engage with people and kind of create a little more of a, like you said, brand connection with their audience, what would be some of your advice to those people? I, I, what I do is I spend a lot of time. uh, I do spend time each day reading. I follow different newsletters and channels just to find out what are some of the trends out there. I don't necessarily even follow all like athletics. I look at, you know, what are other people doing out in the space that might be similar to what I'm doing, or it could even be, they're just part of the entertainment you know, they're doing entertainment in some way because that is part of entertainment is coming to a football game or coming to a basketball game. So what are other people doing out in this space that are new in different ways that they're reaching their customers and how can I do something similar to that? So uh, I'll give you an example. I, you know, I was talking to someone recently, you know, you look at 
Uh, look at what Chipotle is doing or Starbucks is doing. They really have done a great job with their loyalty programs and their um, their content with uh, pushing out notifications through their app, or maybe they're doing something on their website that's new and creative. Um, how can I be doing something similar to that? I, I see a lot of more retailers are getting into text alerts. So they're trying to get you to subscribe, whether it's a, a, a retail store or whatever, or what are people doing in terms of video and how, how have I seen that video content that like, I'll give you an example with applied art. They've done a great job for us in that, you know, I feel like Nike commercials are very compelling. Like I look at them and I just have an emotional connection to that brand when I see that video. So that's something applied art looked at different examples of, of that kind of a content and then came back with something like that for our video spots that we've done for our football commercials and they've done really well. But again, Nike, yes, it is a sports brand, but it's different. It's not about getting people to come, they're buying shoes or they're buying clothes. So I think you have to really think about what, uh, what you see out there and really trying to learn what's working in the market and different areas and, learning from different people and then also telling, asking yourself, and this is what I try to do, you know, what do I like? Like what is getting me or what is getting my child? Cause everybody's different. You know, it's not what just me personally, it's what are, what are kids growing up engaging in YouTube? They're engaging in um, influencers is another thing. So that's when another thing I've talked about, like, wow, how do we get, you know, we've tried, we're looking at some of those things from merchandise standpoint. How do we engage in influencers? Is there something we could be doing? Is there Instagram shopping? You know, so thinking about the ways other people consume content and what's important. Like, I think video is still king. Like, I still think that is such an important thing. And what the work Applied Art, applied art does is so important and is so great because I, I don't, that's not going to go away. You're not going to quit engaging in video. That's whether you're on YouTube or social media or on a website, I think everybody's engaging with that. So that would be my advice is to, and I I definitely think trying, like I tell my staff, I'm like, we just got to try these things and some are going to work and some aren't, and that's okay, but at least you're trying. So speaking of what you like, um, what have been the top like two or three favorite things that you've done in your career? Wow. That's an interesting question. Way to go, George. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I think a couple things, uh, one, I helped work on, uh, the, the I state logo. So mm-hmm. we, uh, did a contest for people to come This is when coach Chizik was here. We came up with a contest for people to submit ideas Uh, people submitted ideas. It ended up being our internal designer, like had, he ended up coming up with the logo. And I think uh, initially it was a challenge, it was a challenge because it's a change and people liked our, our mark, but I, I did feel like we needed to look at something different. And I feel like we needed to change our colors back to what we had before. And so I, I think that was a really neat because you saw, and as I see now people wearing the, the mark and you see that brand affinity. So that I think was a really cool, um, and, and we worked on the uniforms at that time as well. So that was kind of neat to see all of that uh, come together. Uh, I think we worked one year in a social media campaign. We did, it was called ISU 99. So for one summer we did where we worked with the um, ISU extension in all 99 counties and we created a, a box. So it was a box with a football jersey in it, um, a, you know, an actual game jersey. And it had like other things, a pylon. It had unique items in it. And so every day we did a, it was a different county was featured. So it was a, a different county. And then they'd place the box somewhere and they'd take the photo. And, you know, we'd post that photo up. And then people had, you know, so much time to get there, obviously, with the clue. And then that person would get the box and then other people that got their second got a t-shirt. So we did that for 99 days in 99 counties leading up to the first 
home football game, which mm-hmm. then the, the, you know, Ames was the last destination point. And, and that was just really neat because I didn't, I love that. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. It was neat just because you're all over the state and it just wasn't just in Ames, you know, and then people, some people even got a football in there. So it was like a surprise thing that they got in there. Hmm. So that was a, I think a really neat uh, campaign involving our campus constituents and helping them and then working together on it. So it was, it was a mix of a lot of things that, um, I thought was really cool. My last one, um, God, it's, there's been a lot of different things. I think making, we made a lot of, so when, uh, Jamie got here, we made a lot of changes in our game day for football. Uh, we had our, our PA announcer, um, we did some focus groups and we did do uh, a survey with our fans and we elected to make a lot of different changes, which at the time was kind of scary because you're really out there with like, you know, 60,000 people in the football stadium that you're trying to do new things. And some people might be like, that's not, that's kind of hokey. So I mean, we tried things like to get people to come in early to games. And so we, we're, we used a siren that wasn't the siren we use today because the city was concerned about people thinking it was a tornado. And so we had to try that. And then we brought in our alumni president, Jeff Johnson, to lead cheers before the game, which, you know, it, it kind of was a little hokey, but that's where we got Cyclone Power from. Like, that's what people say now is Cyclone Power at the game started with us trying that with our fans. So that was something that worked. Um, that's we got cool. our our PA announcer now does, you know, he does, that's another cyclone first down. That was totally out of his comfort level. Like he was just like, I, you know, and I'm like, we got to try it. You got to just get out of your comfort level. We got to, you're the cheerleader here. You're the loudest voice in the stadium other, you know, and other than our fans cheering. And so we had to make, do a lot of different things to try to create an atmosphere. And, and we've, you know, we continue to do things, but it's neat to see now, you know, Cyclone Power has been adapted. That's another Cyclone first down. Um, rise up Cyclone Nation. You know, you know I, I, I have to ask too, where did Sweet Caroline come from? How did that get started? Yeah, so that was a so that was another thing. Jamie wanted to originally do Jump Around because he was at Wisconsin. He's like, we need to have a third, the fourth quarter song. So we started doing it and people were like this, I don't agree with, like, I don't like it. So then I had been playing Sweet Caroline. I started doing it and our students loved it just randomly in the game. And, um, and the students really reacted to it. And, and that caught on as like, Hey, let's try to start playing this. And fans were either like, this is, I mean, it created this debate. I mean, people were like, that's not a football song. You don't play that. <laughs> You know, we shouldn't be playing that. But then you'd see people in the crowd, like other than the students were doing it. And I'm like, you guys, this is about connection and sharing a moment with your fans in the stands. It's not about whether it's a football song or not. It's why you tailgate. It's why you're together in the stadium. And so we kept going and then it became, well, let's play in the third, fourth quarter. Well, then we'd play it. And then it was like, we lost the game because we played played Sweet Caroline. And I'm like, (laughs) no, we we didn't, but okay. Okay. So then it was like, okay, only when we had the lead, we could play the song. And if not, we had a backup song and, and that went on. And then it was like, okay, well then football was like, you know, let's try a different song. So now we just play it after we win the game. But it's like, again, you had to try those things. And sometimes it was seriously on the message boards as the biggest debate ever. But again, Cyclone fans will tell you that's like, and I get it. It's played in other stadiums and other teams have that. That's their song too, but it's still our song. Like it's still a, a, a moment that you know, it, it's part of being a Cyclone fan. You know, it's singing, it, it, singing that stupid song is part of the reason I didn't have a voice Monday morning after Saturday's <laughs> game. Totally. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It, it was. Man, you were just singing at home. Loudly, <laughs> bop bop bop. You bet. Yeah, hey, I I have another question. I mean, we talk a lot about football. Obviously, the men's basketball program has been very successful. But 
Women's basketball, I mean, you've traditionally had some of the largest attendance of any school in the country. Talk a little bit about women's basketball and, and how that's different, how you market that different. Good question. So when I when I came here, like, I think 350 fans came to Bill's, like, first time. Like, <laughs> really? Nobody came to women's basketball because we'd been terrible forever. I mean, horrible. And so that was really hard because, you know, it was just trying to manufacture something. And I, I give – Coach Fenley gets a lot of credit on this because he really, of any women's basketball coach in the country, understood that you have to embrace your fan base and do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to connect with them. So he went out and spoke to any group, no matter Rotary, he'd go to, you know, senior citizen homes. He, he spoke anywhere and everywhere to connect with the fan base and encourage them to come out. And he would thank the fans after his show, like on the radio after the games and, you know, his, he believed his players should be out there, you know, really connecting with our fans. So I, I think he gets a lot of credit for it. I think also obviously winning, he started building a winning program. And then I think, you know, we really tried to do things uh, from promotions to try to get fans to come to games. I mean, we started, Actually, the Junior Cycling Club started, and it was called the Little Clone Club in 95. We started, it started under women's basketball, so I can't, I have no, I was only involved in helping with it, and they created a section for that, for the kids. They got, like, a media guy, they had a pizza party after, and so they started with that, and uh, that was just, like, a $10 membership. You got it every game, you got a t-shirt, all this stuff. And so they really understood um, what it took to kind of connect with the fan base. And so from there, then we started doing other promotions to get, you know, fans to come to the games. And I think that really, along with winning and connecting with the base, like really helped things. And then, and obviously, you know, senior citizen homes, because I think coach Fenley had gone out there with the players and him, like they started coming here and that became a thing for them from our community to come to the games and be a part of it. And I just think it became really contagious. And at the time, our athletic director was really supporting. He was very supportive of the women's program and talking, Oh my God, you got to come to these games. Like it's the thing to do. And so I, I think there were a lot of different people behind working to build the brand, get people to attend, make it a thing to do. And it, it really was a thing to do. I mean, it, it still is. It just, you know, I think people were like, wow, I'm helping be a part of this crowd and now we're winning and, you know, all this stuff. So it was super cool. It was one of the cool things to be around, a part of. And uh, he never wanted to be kind of the star of any of that, did he? He doesn't. He's not like that. He doesn't believe in that he is probably one of the most unusual women's basketball coaches and that he really understood how to market his program and how to get the fans out there he understood you know I gotta be there for the fans and I also have to win and you know all these things are just really important to building a program um, I, I've known other schools that ask me and they're like what should I do and and, and I think too here we try to treat women's basketball I would say more equally to men's. Uh, so, you know, we're not just, if one team's in the NCAA tournament and other ones in the NCAA, we're not just promoting one over the other. I don't feel like, I feel like we're both really engaged from both programs and how we're marketing them. Ah, yeah, excellent. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, I don't see any more questions in the Q and a, so, um, Mary, any final thoughts or words? Maybe let us know where where you'd like to send our audience to go. Maybe buy some tickets to the next uh, upcoming event going on. Well, I, I wish I could say that we're going to have, you know, with the pandemic right now. Um, but I, I would tell fans, like, you know, obviously once football season is is done and and hopefully we've accomplished more things in the in the program's history, I, I would tell people like you know, cause I, I hopefully think next by next fall, like things are different and people are coming to games again and it's back to normal. 
I would really encourage people like get your season tickets for football, whether you're just buying a season ticket, you know, just being a part of the program. Like, I think, I think uh, this is still going to continue to be, we're going to continue to build some really cool things here. And uh, as someone who's been here a long time, like this is a time, like you got to jump on and, you know, bring other people along. Cause it's, it's a cool ride. It's really neat. And I would say, you know, I want to thank some of the people that have been a part of this. I would say like applied art for us, they became involved with the program in 2005 when, you know, we were, we were still building the program and, and, you know, ended up obviously McCartney left the program and then Gene Chizik came on and then we had coach Rhodes and, you know, we've gone through some different things, but I, I feel like we've had an amazing partnership with applied art and they've done some really we were, George and I were talking about, there was one commercial with Gene Chizik and it was in black and white. And it was, it's still one of my favorite commercials ever. And, uh, and that's the power of video to me. It's like, I remember those commercials that we've done and the moments that, you know, what people reflect on. So I, I want to thank Applied Art for our amazing relationship. They're uh, fantastic to work with. They, try to bend over backwards for their clients and they really work hard at trying to put out a great product. Well, and Mary, I know you won't say this, but you are absolutely one of the most creative and innovative marketers in college sports. Oh, Um, thanks, George. It's been been a great, great uh, pleasure to work with you. You always have a ton of ideas and very much want to experiment and I know I know your reputation is is huge so thank you so much for spending the time this morning thank you guys let's get let's get a big 12 championship next. there we go Dude, that yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> well we'll Thanks, celebrate Mary. virtually yes yes <laughs> yes thank you guys Thank you for listening to the Art of Marketing podcast from Applied Art and Technology. If you liked the episode, make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can help more listeners connect with their customers. See the show notes for access to our free 88-page video idea book filled with ideas for your next production. And to learn more about our company, visit our site at appliedart.com.